So this morning, I'd like to go ahead and invite Dr. Joe Modica up to the stage, and he has become somewhat of a regular here at Valley Point. Over the last several years, he has come and he has taught for us and has really inspired. His humor keeps us awake each Sunday, and so we want to thank you for being here. Dr. Modica is a chaplain and professor at Eastern University, one of our local universities, so I'll give it to you to take away. Thank you. Good morning, friends, and it is wonderful to be back at uh, Valley Point Church, especially on the Sunday that the coffee station is back open. Because as a speaker, if your congregation audience is fully caffeinated, it is really very helpful. So, but all, all kidding aside, it's wonderful to be back. I want to thank uh, Pastor Ben for your hospitality and coordination uh, this week as I prepare for my visit, and for Jack with all the technology and the slides, and I'm always pointing at something and he's moving things along, and, and the worship team. Wasn't that beautiful how they come together and lead us in song and praise? Um, I'm so grateful that uh, Pastor Eric is not here today. <laughs> Nothing personal. But Pastor Eric and, and Tanya are friends, and they're on, and their family on a well-deserved vacation. Some of you may know that uh, their daughter, Clarice, is a graduate of Eastern University. And they have a son. Their son, Chandler, is currently a student. So my goal is to have all the Kohler uh, children come and attend Eastern University. That would be wonderful. But they've been a blessing to me. I want to just say this, uh, last summer I came to this church and it was completely empty. We were in the, the, the major throes of the pandemic and I recorded a message uh, here. And I just want to say that talking with Pastor Eric uh, and other leadership uh, during that time, I really was impressed with how Valley Point Church's leadership were, were trying to continue to keep people connected in community, but also keeping you safe and well. Right? Those are not mutually exclusive. You could do community, but also you're in a pandemic and you're taking all the necessary precautions. Uh, and I was really proud of Valley Point Church, of what they were doing, putting things in place, so as they continue the journey uh, with you. We had to do that at Eastern University. We had students in masks uh, in the fall and in the spring. Socially, we were, I, I taught in a mask, for, uh, which actually they liked it a lot better to students. Um, maybe I'm a little bit frightening to, uh, in person, but I don't know. But in, all that to say is I'm grateful uh, for the commitments that we all had to try to keep all of us well. We're going to be talking about loving God and loving neighbors. And one of the ways we, d we did that through the pandemic is being taking care of each other. My father was my roller hockey coach in Queens, New York in the 1970s. Now, for some of you who don't know what roller hockey is, it's the urban version of ice hockey. And we play it on blacktop. And instead of a rubber puck, we use electrical tape that we would get in the hardware store. And we would not be on, obviously, on, our blades were polyurethane wheels. And I just loved playing roller hockey in Queens, New York in the 1970s. Let me show you. I actually brought the team photo with me uh, this morning. Um, and I don't have any prize if you could pick who, where I am in there, but it may be 
self-evident. My father is all the way to the left, right next to him is my brother Stephen, who's now an attorney in Rochester, New York. Boy, times over 40 years, things change, don't they? And then there I am, right? Right next to my brother. The Middle Village Rangers, 1974-75. That's the team photo. Oh, my. I still stay in touch with a few of those folks, and we're all in our 60s now, so um, we don't skate anymore. <laughs> Only in our mind. I have great memories of myself skating quickly back then. You know, it's interesting having your father as your hockey coach um, for a couple of reasons. First of all, I'm related to him, and everyone else was not. And so there was always a sense of, if I got more playing time, uh, the coach is favoring his son. Look at that. So my father, on the front end, when he started to coach me, he would say, there will be times when I will yell at you. There'll be times I'll have you do an extra lap or two. It's because I love you more <laughs> than the other kids. But it also is to show that there would be no favoritism. So sometimes, even after practice, <laughs> the, all the teammates was wondering, why, why is Joe taking eight more laps around the field? I guess my father was trying to make a point there. But what's interesting about playing roller hockey in the 1970s with my father as the coach is that practices were so difficult. We practiced, and we continued to practice, and he would just stress every time we got together, no matter what it was, the fundamentals and the basics of roller hockey. I don't know about you, but when I was a teenager back in the 70s and went to, went to practice, I wanted to have a good time. I wanted a little scrimmage, talk to my friends, kind of do what I wanted to do, skate a little bit, and it'll be over. Not my father. He had a regiment. We skated frontwards and backwards, it seemed like, for days. We also practiced figure eights, so we knew how to weave in and weave out. We practiced passing. We practiced shooting. We, we practiced things that I didn't even think it was even needed, but he made sure that we did it together as a team over and over and over again. I can't tell you how boring I w it was in the 1970s doing this. But you know... Honestly, friends, in 1974-75, that season that I showed you the photo there, we didn't lose one game. We were undefeated because what my father did is he made practice harder than the game. Right? He made practice harder than the game. So when the game came, it seemed like, oh, this is really easy. We know what we're doing. We know how to skate better than the other team. We know how to pass better than the other team. We know how to shoot better than the other team, right? The fundamentals, the basics, over and over again, helped us. It shaped us. It molded us to be prepared for the game. We weren't afraid of any opponents. We went to every game, and we won each game that season. Now, Christianity is not roller hockey, but there are some things I learned as a, an athlete, if I can call myself that, uh, in roller hockey that I think is applicable, right? The idea of practice, repetition, and being shaped by what you do over and over and over again. So hold that thought, because what I'm going to do now is segue to uh, the series, the summer series. And I know Pastor Ben will be speaking next week on the Jesus Creed, right? The, this is a summer series on the Jesus Creed. I'll go to the, the second slide, uh, Jack. Right, the Jesus Creed by uh, Dr. Scott McKnight, Loving God and Loving Others. Let me, let's offer to you the thesis statement of his book, right? The, I really encourage you to read the book 
because it's an excellent, excellent book. But here's the thesis statement. This is why Dr. McKnight wrote this book. He said, quote, a Jewish expert of the Torah, the law, he's going to talk about Mark 12 in a moment, once asked Jesus what was the most important thing for spiritual formation. What's the most important thing to be spiritually formed? Jesus answered, turned history upside down for those who followed him. This book, the Jesus Creed, is an invitation for you to explore Jesus' answer to that man. I call it the Jesus Creed, and what he said should shape everything we say about Christian spirituality. Everything. I think, as Christians, one of the goals of our life, and maybe it should be a central goal, is to be conformed to the image and likeness of Jesus, to become more like Jesus as we surrender our lives each and every day to him so that we can love God and love our neighbor deep, more deeply and deeply each day. It's hard. I'm not saying it's easy. But I think what Scott McKnight is saying is that it has to be intentional, deliberate, and repetitive. So here's the Jesus Creed, Mark 12. I think Pastor Eric read this last week or a couple weeks ago. This is Mark 12. 29 to 31, where Scott McKnight, he calls this the Jesus Creed. So Jesus answered this expert of the law. The first is, hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and with all your strength. All right? And the second is this. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. There is no other commandment greater than these. All right, everybody following me? This is what Jesus is offering as the essentials, as the basics of what it means to be a Christian in many ways, right? Isn't that interesting? If we could do this well, if we can shape our lives, form our lives well with this, everything else is easy after that, right? How do we practice this? If we could practice this and repeat this creed every day, so to speak, and make this creed part of our lives in a very tangible way, it would change our lives, and it would change the lives of the people that we live with, work with, go to school with, and so forth. It's very powerful, Jesus' teaching. Actually, Christianity, I don't know if you ever picked up on it, it's pretty simple. <laughs> we, we make it complex, of course, right? I mean, with like 3,300 different denominations, it gets complex, right? But it's really basically simple. And I want to explore today uh, chapter 2, uh, of the Jesus Creed, where, where Scott McKnight says, how do you pray the Jesus Creed? And he really focuses on the Lord's Prayer, the Lord's Prayer. How many of you have memorized the Lord's Prayer or know it? All right. Many of you, not all of you, but that's okay. Right. You might have learned it as a child in another tradition. Okay. You know, the Lord's Prayer. The thing about Jesus that is so interesting when you think about the Jesus Creed in Mark 12, Jesus is taking from the Shema, from Deuteronomy 6, and also from Leviticus 18, and putting together something new and imaginative. Jesus is not just the Son of God, which he is, and Messiah. He is also very creative. He's pulling things from the tradition to give new life to those who will follow him, to give new life, to give new perspective to those who follow him. Now, I have a disclaimer. Um, I'm friends with Dr. Scott McKnight. It almost might seem like I'm you know, trying to sell his books and sell the Jesus Creed because he told me if I can get 50 copies sold, I can get a free ticket somewhere. No, uh, that's not true. <laughs> Dr. Scott McKnight is a friend. 
Actually, he teaches at Northern Seminary in Lombard, Illinois. I don't know how far that is from where Pastor Eric and Tanya are right now. He's a friend. We know each other for over 30 years. He's a New Testament scholar, but here's the key to what I think he does so well. He can write and speak both to the academy and to the church. That's what real Christian scholarship is. You can speak to the academy, so he's an academic, he's brilliant, he can write, he's written 40-plus books, commentaries, and so forth. So he can write to the academy and make the arguments there. But he's got a pastor's heart, right? He also writes for the church. He loves the church, believes in the church. And so the Jesus Creed brings both of those things together. And he and I have worked on several books together. We're friends. And I just want to just recommend, I know I'm going to talk just about a chapter today very briefly, but I would recommend just reading through it. It's been out almost 20 years. Tens of thousands of copies have been purchased. People have read it, have felt they were able to shape their lives around what Dr. McKnight is calling the Jesus Creed. But for today's purposes, I don't know if you have a Bible, but if you do, I'm going to take a look at the Lord's Prayer. The Lord's Prayer is in the Bible. That's a good plan. <laughs> We're grateful for that, right? The Lord's Prayer is in the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew's Gospel, chapter 6. It's the first book of the New Testament. Uh, and the, the Sermon on the Mount is Matthew chapters 5, 6, and 7. It's Jesus' most famous sermon. You may have heard of it, right? Beginning with the Beatitudes and other teachings. And you don't have to worry about, how, how can I understand the Sermon on the Mount? Well, just think about it. It's a sermon that's in an elevated place on the Mount. Already you're halfway there. You're halfway there. You can understand it. You don't have to have, bring me in. Please, read the Bible. It's a good thing. New Testament. So let me read where the prayer is located. You can follow along there. This is where we get what we call the Lord's Prayer. So Jesus is teaching his disciples. First, he teaches them about giving to the poor, almsgiving. Then he teaches about prayer and then about fasting, those three principles. This is what he says to his disciples. Pray then in this way. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And do not bring us to the time of trial, but rescue us from the evil one. Rescue us from the evil one. What a beautiful prayer. And my thesis for this morning and the thesis of that chapter two is that the Lord's Prayer should be recited every day. You, we should be reciting the Lord's Prayer because in it contains not just Christian theology, but Jesus himself. He is the Lord's Prayer. When you think of the Lord's Prayer, you think of Jesus embodying the Lord's Prayer, modeling for us. And so when we pray the Lord's Prayer, we're affirming Jesus's identity and also what our responsibility is in the world. So I'm going to talk about fixed prayer, repetitive prayer, right? Doing prayers in the morning, maybe at noontime and in the evening. Now, for some of you are thinking, I hope this is his last time here. You want to talk about fixed prayer? I thought prayer is supposed to be from the heart, which it should be. From the heart, it should be extemporaneous, right? Like, who would like to close us in prayer today? Ma'am, would you like to? Um, no, no, I'm not. Don't worry. That was just rhetorical. I'm not... But right, don't we usually do that in circles? Like, who would open in prayer? Who, likes to, who would like to open in prayer? Who wants to pray before the meal? Come on, who's going to pray? Right? That's called extemporaneous, meaning we call on somebody, and 
And, and these prayers are beautiful and important. But let me just say this. When you think about the ministry of Jesus, he's not saying, okay, Andrew, open us up in prayer for the meeting, right? Or, hey, Peter, can you close us in a prayer, right? Did Jesus do some extemporaneous prayers? Of course. But he's a Jew. Is that, you know that. Jesus is a Jew, right? He's not a Presbyterian, although I like Presbyterians. I actually teach Sunday school for a Presbyterian church. Uh, he's not a Pentecostal. He's not a Methodist. He's, he, you know, he's not American Baptist. Jesus is a Jew. And so for us to understand how the Lord's Prayer functioned during the time, so to speak, of Jesus, we have to understand Jesus' Jewishness. Jesus' Jewishness. We have a, a saying around Christmas, don't we? Keep Christ in Christmas. Have you seen that? Maybe bumper sticker. I, I think that's good. I also like to keep Jesus Jewish. That's my bumper sticker. Keep Jesus Jewish, right? He's not a Christian in the ways we understand Christianity in our time. Let's go to that slide about the Jewishness of Jesus. <clears throat> okay. Woo. Okay, take it all in here. On the left-hand side, we call that the Hollywood Jesus. You've seen the Hollywood Jesus. Six foot one, blonde, flowing hair, blue eyes, stare, you know, just so, so, so stately, muscular. Hello, I am Jesus. Well, I mean, I grew up with that image, right? I think many of us would say, okay, that's probably the image I grew up with. But look at the image next to it. It's called the forensic Jesus. There was a group of forensic scientists in 2002 came together through scientific means to try to put together what Jesus would have looked like as a Middle Eastern, poor, dark-skinned, Palestinian Jew. Wow. Now, I was, you know, when I grew up, I had a, my parents had a big Bible in their bedroom. You ever have, you see those big Bibles where you don't really read it, but you use it as a file folder. You put things in, right? Death certificates, birth certificate, flowers were crushed. Do you remember that? The face of Jesus on that Bible was not on the right, right? It was the left Jesus with a little hologram, which I always thought the eyes were moving. That's why I never did anything wrong near my parents' bedroom, because I always thought, Jesus is looking at me from the Bible, right? But look at the difference, right? To understand Jesus' Jewishness does not take away from our understanding of what we do in the Christian circle, but we have to understand Jesus was a Jew, and understanding prayer, it would be helpful to understand what was prayer like in the first century. What, how did Jesus pray, so to speak? Right? How did Jesus pray? Well, do you see the numbers there? Those are three common prayers Jews prayed every day. Common prayers, meaning they incorporated it in liturgy. The first is the Shema. And I think Pastor Eric talked about the Shema, right? Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord alone. The Shema coming from the book of Deuteronomy, chapter 6, verse 4. It's kind of a creedal statement. It's kind of the monotheistic creedal statement of who our God is. And that's the Shema from the Hebrew word meaning to hear or to obey. Hear or obey. Okay, Jesus prayed the Shema. Do you see that in the Jesus Creed? Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one, the Lord alone. That was part of Mark 12. He was putting, so he knows the Shema. The other one you might know is called the Amidad, or the Shimone Rezre. The Amidad 
the Hebrew word Amidah means standing. These were prayers that were done when a person was, the Jews were standing together in a kind of corporate way. And the 18 benedictions, it talked about uh, thanksgiving, blessings, prayers. I'm not going to go into all the benedictions, but there were ways in which the Jews prayed together. Jesus prayed the Amidah. Some have suggested that the Lord's Prayer in Matthew 6 is Jesus' version of the Amidad for his, for his disciples. And then lastly, it's the Kaddish, the Kaddish prayer. Kaddish means holy or blessed. It's about prayers of blessing, of thanksgiving. Let me read you one prayer that perhaps, I don't know this for certain, but maybe this is a prayer that Jesus actually prayed, right? This is something that's preserved. It's called the Kaddish. It's a blessing. Listen to it now. This is a quote. Glorified and sanctified be God's great name throughout the world, which he has created according to his will. May he establish his kingdom in your lifetime and during your days. That's the Kaddish, and then the people would respond, amen, or blessed be forever. Sounds a little bit like the Lord's Prayer. It talks about, may he establish his kingdom in your lifetime and during these days, right, according to his will. You wonder... Jesus being a Jew, first century Palestinian Jew, um, how much of the Lord's Prayer is even parts of these other prayers here? So my point this morning is this. I think this is my point, right? We all struggle with prayer life. How do we form our lives? How do you form your day? Right? Some days seem to go so smoothly. Other days are so chaotic, and our lives can be so chaotic, can be so... Uh, stressful, so filled with everything. I remember asking the Lord, let's have a 25th hour for the day. And the Lord spoke back and said, you would then ask, Joe, you'll fill that up and you'll ask for a 26th hour, right? So the thing is, our schedules are full, but yet we're called to be prayerful people. We're called to be spiritually formed. We're called to follow Jesus, even in our busyness. So the point being is, what would it be like for you and I to commit to praying the Lord's Prayer, much like how Jesus prayed prayers at certain times of the day during his lifetime. That means you might want to pray the Lord's Prayer in the morning. Just say, I'll say 8 o'clock in the morning, every day you'll pray the Lord's Prayer. You'll recite it. Because it has everything you need to hear, need to think about. It, it is Jesus himself in many ways to prayer. Even if you don't feel all the words, it's not about feelings, friends. It's about practice and repetition and being shaped by the prayers, particularly the prayer of the church, the Lord's Prayer. How about then praying it at noontime or right about lunchtime or sometime in the afternoon and then pray it once more time before you go to bed? Can you imagine if we had Christians throughout the entire world praying the Lord's Prayer every day? <laughs> it's got to do something. It's got to do something the way it shapes us. And I realized that praying is hard. I know for some of us, I know growing up, prayer was very difficult, especially extemporaneous prayer, because I was always nervous of, like, what do I say? And you always have somebody who prays in King James. Thou with God, prosperous these people, and, and give us thy will. And you think, I can't follow that. I can never pray like that. Don't you ever you feel like you're very self-conscious? I would argue, and I think McKnight argues this beautifully, all we need is the Lord's Prayer. It doesn't mean that we don't pray other things. Don't get me wrong. But if we pray consistently the Lord's Prayer, we're praying 
words that Jesus gave to his disciples. These are Jesus' words to his disciples. Let's go to the sl- quickly to the slide of the petitions, and then we'll wrap up for this morning. Obviously, if we had time this morning, we could take a look at how the prayer is broken down and maybe some of the themes we find in the Lord's Prayer. You're very familiar with this flow. You have an invocation, our Father in heaven, kind of an address of God. Then you have these different, what they call petitions, right? How the prayer can be broken down. I'm not surprised, and you're probably not surprised, that the number seven is really a common way of kind of understanding prayer, right? The number itself. Hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, your will be done. Give us today our daily bread. Forgive us our sins or trespasses or debts, right? Different translations nuance it a little differently as we forgive those who sin against us. Save us from the time of trial and deliver us from evil. We'll talk about the doxology, which is kind of the thing that punctuates the prayer in a moment. But if you open up your Bible, you won't find the doxology there. And you'll say, where did it come from? Did it just drop out of heaven and fall somewhere? No, I'll tell you where it came from in a moment. But do you see the seven petitions? Do you see what's in the middle, what's at the middle of those petitions? Which one is the middle? It's the one, give us today our daily bread. Do you see how that's kind of a hinge, a fulcrum in the middle? The ones above that really talk about who God is, recognizing who God is, and continually telling us, who is this God that we serve? And then the lower petitions speak about our own responsibilities, our own responsibilities, right? The ways in which we live in the world. And it's really interesting to me that give us this day our daily bread is right at the middle, the transition between God and people. And what we need to be mindful of is that God provides for what we need, not always for what we want. God provides for what we need, but not always for what we want. And to me, the great challenge is it's daily. You have to do it daily, right? None of us, well, I shouldn't say none of us, but I know the Modica family, right? My wife goes shopping. We we do it for the week, right? You shop for the week. You don't shop, okay, let's go. What are we having tonight? Let's go and shop, right? That's why Costco, right? You don't go and say, I'm going to Costco just to buy what I need for today. No, it's for like two years, right? You buy... (laughs) I got more paper towels. You can't believe I got the paper towels, toilet paper. Unbelievable. We're okay. We're good for a year, maybe 18 months. We shop very differently than Jesus' day. And because of that, sometimes we feel more secure than we need to be. We need to realize that God is still providing in the daily ways. All right? So the Lord's Prayer, many, many things. Let's go to the next slide. I just want to show you how the early church used the Lord's Prayer. You're saying the early church used the Lord's Prayer? Oh, yeah. The early followers of Jesus used the Lord's Prayer as a vehicle for spiritual formation. This is the Didache. Don't look for it in your Bibles because it's not there. It's another document. It's part of the Apostolic Fathers. You can find this online. Didache just means teaching. And it's probably a late first century, early second century document. But I'm going to read it quickly, and you're going to see where the doxology came from and how the early church used this. This was a way of getting people ready for baptism, getting, ready, getting people ready for baptism and for following Jesus. So it reads this way. You shall not pray like the hypocrites, but like the Lord commanded in his gospel, Matthew's gospel. In this manner you shall pray, Our Father who is in heaven, your name shall be made holy, your kingdom shall come, your will shall come to be as in heaven and upon the earth. And you shall give to us our bread for our need today. And you shall forgive us our debt 
as also we are forgiving our debtors. And may you not bring us into a trial, but you shall rescue us from the wicked one, since it is your might and glory in the ages. You shall pray three times of the, of the day in this manner. All right, go to the next slide. Thank you, Jack. Right? So we get the doxology, it kind of morphed into from this is your might and glory into the ages, for thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever and ever. And then look at that. You shall pray the Lord's Prayer, not once, not twice, but three times a day. So what do we do with this, friends? I think we need to reconsider the use of the Lord's Prayer in our daily lives, the repetition of the Lord's Prayer. Much like practice in roller hockey, sometimes we do things over and over again, even when it doesn't seem to make sense. Or maybe perhaps we think, I have no feeling. I have to have feeling. Well, let's be honest. You don't always have feelings when you pray about something. You, you don't, you know, God is still who God is, regardless of our feelings. It's about our commitment to being formed and shaped into Jesus' image. We need to commit ourselves to forming the day around the great prayer of the Lord's Prayer. Uh, Lord's, the Lord's Prayer. So the question I have for you, and here's a few takeaways, and then we're going to actually pray the Lord's Prayer together. I wanted a couple of takeaways. Number one, practice makes perfect, right? Part of the roller hockey illustration is the game was so much easier because of all the hard work and the practice you did every time you gathered together. Let me just be honest with you. Coming to church, and that's the only thing one does for their spiritual formation, is not enough. That doesn't, it's like showing up for the game without the practice. You need to practice. I need to practice. Right? It's, so it's really more important. One could argue, and we won't have time to do this because of, of time is running out. We could say that the most important things for spiritual formation that you do often can happen outside of the church if you're in community and understanding what's going on, right? The church meets generally once a week, and you live six other days. So practice makes perfect. Never, never think of, don't think the game is more important than practice. Number two, we struggle to pray because we, don't find, we can't find the right words. Have you ever, I know, I know some of our students at Eastern, they would faint if I asked them, okay, uh, Bob, could you pray? <laughs> Oh, can someone pick up Bob? It would be overwhelming. But you know what? We have the right words already, the Lord's Prayer. We have the words already. So a lot of times when I'm asked to pray at the university, and I'm the chaplain, so I get paid to pray, right? This is my job, right? I'll oftentimes say, let's, let's just stand together and pray the Lord's Prayer together. That's the thing that I felt led to do in a community setting. Number three, when you recite the Lord's Prayer, you affirm who Jesus is. You affirm Jesus. It's not, about the, it's not about denominationalism. It's not about church polity. It's not about this. It's about Jesus, right? Jesus, and we're affirming his identity. And then fourth and final, we have to dispel the notion that reciting is not praying. We have to dispel that notion that reciting is not praying. Some people believe that. Some people think, you have a prayer book, Joe? I use a prayer book in the morning. I have prayers, I have um, gospel. They would think, What's, what, aren't you being led by the Spirit? Yeah, yeah, the Spirit's leading me. I'm opening up the book, <laughs> looking at the Scripture, looking at the prayers, praying for my family, praying for the world. You know, 
So we have to dispel the notion just because you recite something over and over again that that's not praying. I would argue just different, that it is prayer. We don't want to get rid of extemporaneous prayer. Some people are gifted in the moment, gifted in the moment. Many of us are not. And we have to form our lives around the Jesus Creed. And Scott McKnight says the way we do that is around the Lord's Prayer. That's one thing we can do. So, friends, I'm going to ask you, if you're able to, please stand with me. We're going to pray the Lord's Prayer, then I'm going to give it back over to Pastor Ben. Now, if you don't know the Lord's Prayer by heart, that's okay. You might know a word or two you can enter in. No one's judging whether you... This is not a quiz. This is not a pop quiz, although I had you stand, right? Also, too, as you, as you know, there's a few different ways of... What do, we do? do we do trespasses? Do we do debts? Let me, up front, we'll do the trespasses. Okay, just so we get that taken care of. I'm very ecumenical. So we'll do that. But, you know, we'll pray it as a way of affirming who Jesus is. Okay? So let's pray now the prayer that Jesus taught his disciples. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. God bless you and thank you. Be well.